BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, you're listening to SupDoc Podcast. I'm Paco Romain. And I'm George Chen. And this is a show where we talk to interesting people with strong opinions about their favorite documentaries. On today's episode of SupDoc, we review Smashing Machine, the 2002 documentary from director John Hyams that follows the MMA great Mark Kerr. I sat down to talk about Smashing Machine with comedian, musician, and Tony Award-nominated actor Stephen Lynch. So I'm here with Mr. Stephen Lynch, uh, musician, comedian, actor, lover, dog, owner, dog that pees on my foot, owner. I don't know what that was. <laughs> you just brought it out in her mouth. I think friend. you ordered it. I think that's how you intimidate your interviewers. I, have, I taught her to pee on command just to <laughs> mark my territory. When, uh, I can't do it. That no. would be unacceptable socially, so in, I just have my dog do it. In today's world, that is completely un- unacceptable. <laughs> so we are talking about the smashing machine. Ooh, I have not seen that. You haven't seen that, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it's good, but I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> it's great. No, I have seen it. This is probably going to be... First of all, nobody's heard of this documentary. Right, no. It's impossible to find anywhere. It's not on <laughs> iTunes or Netflix. I realized last night I was thinking about it. I said, I have chosen the absolute worst podcast. I mean, the worst uh, uh, documentary for us to talk about on this podcast. Because even if people hear this and become interested in it, yes. it's a pain in the ass to find. It is online, though. It is online. That's, That's how where I watched, watched it, it, right? Daily Motion. Right. I Yeah. And you can, if you torrent, if that's your jam, you can do that. You can torrent this bitch. You can um, probably order a VHS tape. Oh, I'm if sure. If that's your jam. I bet you could probably pay <laughs> Mark Kerr to come to your house and tell you about it <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Because I think he's selling used cars. He is. Yeah. So if you fly to Phoenix, I bet he would help. He would get you at least a rental. Yeah. If you're going to be around in the Phoenix. He yeah. seems apprehensive about talking about this stuff he does even though there was a big uh sports illustrated article about it uh, like a few months ago i just read really great and like a follow-up to this documentary yeah um and he seemed very open but he he did seem hesitant to talk about it yeah i would i can understand that i mean this is a guy that probably could have made much more than the million dollars that they were saying that he made yeah you know yeah, he missed the big boom. I mean, he was in the middle of the boom in Japan. Right. But then when that crumbled, he he missed the the big boom here, which we're sort of still in the middle of. People love MMA stuff here in this United States of America. Let me tell you something. Tell it's, me. It's fucking embarrassing to be a fan of this sport. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> Why? <laughs> and and I'm so I love it so much. Mm-hmm. To me, it's just the greatest sport on the planet. And I've always loved that sort, you know, boxing and and uh, <sighs> Muay Thai and kickboxing. Yeah. Uh, wrestling, I find kind of 
I don't understand the rules of it, so I never got into it. Mean like real wrestling or yeah, yeah. like Olympic wrestling right. or Greco-Roman wrestling. Yeah, I never quite understood it. No, so I never got into it. Boxing's well, pretty easy. You punch each other until somebody falls down or the right. or the uh, refs give the decision to the wrong guy. That's fine. Right. That happens every time. Yeah, but but the culture around specifically the UFC is so. I never tell people that I like that stuff. I sit up here in my little room uh -huh. and watch this stuff like every week or yeah. every it's on like every few days now. And I just I I rarely tell anybody about uh -huh. it. Because the first thing you think of is like, you know, a new metal jam. Fight, hit you with your fist. And like, you know, a tap out t-shirt with some crazy skulls on it. Of course. And a bunch of dude bros. Dude bros. Who paint, you know, just bleed on their chests. Yeah. And uh, that's philosopher, bro. <laughs> <laughs> the guys yeah. that do that. <laughs> and God, it's just, it's, I never want to admit to anybody, but it's such a beautiful sport. But it's and one it, I love to it's watch. It's also extreme. It's not like it's like hidden. That's huge, right? It's, it has a huge popularity, correct? It says that it's huge. I think it, it wants to be huge, uh -huh. but I, I, you know, I don't have a big group of friends who all want to come over and watch the pay-per-view. I have a handful of people who sometimes want to watch fights. But it's usually only when they know who the fighter is. Uh. So it's going to be Ronda Rousey or it's going to be somebody who you know, has a – who's dipped into the mainstream a little more. Is who's that? Who's rounder runs? Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> She's probably the most oh. high-profile fighter in the – UFC, and going? you don't even know who she is. I don't. I have to admit, I don't watch UFC, WWE stuff. I was a big boxing fan in my twenties. I watched boxing a lot in the nineties. Yeah, uh, but then that got stupid because then it was right. just heavyweight stuff, and now it's real stupid. I yeah. mean, like that Floyd Merriweather fucking fight. <laughs> Merriweather. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you don't even know Floyd Mayweather's name. Now I don't feel bad that you don't know who Ronda Rousey is. Isn't she the one that just called out Merriweather? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she she gave him a jab for his uh, domestic violence record. Oh, she beat him for fighter of the year at at some uh -huh. like the SB Awards or uh -huh. ESPN something or other. And then she said, uh, um, "I wonder how Floyd feels being beaten by a woman for a change." Oh snap! Damn. Ooh, she don't play. And then they fought in a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, over a case of uh, Pepsi Light. <laughs> put the video somebody filmed it put the video on youtube 40 quadrillion uh, views yeah i'm sure because everybody would want to see that well now i understand why you picked this documentary then because you're a big fan yeah and you also and, and it's a great documentary right. because it's not just about the sport and not just about this guy who was a pioneer in the sport and one of the one of the first you know legitimate wrestlers to sort of come in and take over the sport because up until then it had been a lot of jujitsu guys, you know, the, the Gracie jujitsu uh, family were the ones who started it to sh sort of plug their style of jujitsu. And then um, he was one of the first wrestlers to come in and just, you know, it didn't matter how much technique you had. He was too big and too strong and too powerful. The guy's a giant. He's a giant. <laughs> He's a giant man. But what is he, 6'3"? I, I don't know. He's definitely over like 6'1 or 6'2, but like a solid 270 pounds yeah. of just granite. Yeah, he's a big, big boy with big ass legs and yeah. a big butt. And imagine those knees slamming oh, into your face. No. You can't do that stuff anymore, by the way. Gotcha. They changed, but in the documentary, uh, 
Bass Rutten? Yeah, Bass Rutten. Bass Rutten. Auf der Deutsche. Um, is he German? Dutch. Dutch, same thing. Um, <laughs> he said that the that they took his tools away on purpose. That uh, Boss said that they took Mark's tools, which are what? Head. Well, he would headbutt. He would smash uh, people's faces with his knees. Great. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess the, I the Japanese promoters at Pride wanted the fights to go on longer or something, and he was just... Mashing people in minutes. Within minutes, right. And so, I mean, that's a theory. I don't know that that's true or not. Right. Um, Sounds about right. It's pretty brutal. You, you, do, you know, I'm not sad they took away headbutts right. to the face. That's insane that there's, at one point, all of that was allowed. Yeah. Uh, and I think I was reading in the Sports Illustrated article that it's still allowed in Brazil. They still, it's whatever, no holds bar. Kind I'm of. sure they do. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a scene that was... So, I actually had a look away in this documentary where he's talking about eye gouging and spreading oh, your yeah. opponent's wounds right. even further. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is, their, that's pretty gnarly. And you, they show him taking his fingers and spreading apart this guy's <laughs> face wound. I know, it's so gross. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, God. I had a look away. I mean, his philosophy seemed to be, I don't really, I don't want to hurt someone as much as I want them to just give up so the fight can be over right. as quickly as possible. Take a shot! This one situation with two possible outcomes. You're either going to beat somebody's ass or you're going to get your ass beat. Oh, and then the question you ask yourself is how competitive are you? What lanes are you willing to go to try to win? You're going to poke him in the eye? Are you going to take your thumb and dig it and cut and pull it open a little wider? Of course you will. Well, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, I I went into this not knowing anything about this guy, and then the first thing you hear is like one of the first things you see is extraordinarily brutal. Uh, we were talking about this before we started taping. One of the first things you see is him just beating somebody, and yeah. then you hear his voice, and he sounds so sweet. He's a soft-spoken guy. You know, he's intelligent. He can string words together to make a complete sentence. Yeah, which you know goes against the stereotype of a guy who would lock himself in a cage with a 250-pound Russian guy and yeah. with no rules. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's very sympathetic. Yeah. And becomes more sympathetic, obviously, as the documentary goes on because, as we started to talk about, it's not as much about this, this blood sport as it is about this one guy who, because of the toll the sport has taken on his body... Starts, you know, popping pain pills, eventually starts injecting narcs into his body. You know, he's clearly blown up on steroids. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't remember if they address that in the movie, but he, you know, it's pretty common knowledge that all those guys, this is before they did any sort of real testing, right. were all just, I mean, they're behemoths. Yeah, they're big, big dudes. Yeah. I don't, they don't touch, they do touch on the painkillers and stuff like that in right. the doc, but they, they don't mention any of the human growth hormone steroids kind of thing. Right. I mean, he becomes really, you know, addicted. Um, I, I guess there was sort of a gap in time between, you know, they don't, sh I mean, they show him injecting things. Which yeah. Was, I remember that being sort of shocking. That is shocking. Um, in 2002 or whenever this documentary came out. Yeah. Is that when you first saw it was 2002? Was it right when this documentary came out? Yeah. Is when you saw it. Right. Wow. And, and I had already, you know, I had already been a fan of the sport. I wasn't 
you know, I was living in New York. I wasn't, I didn't have, I was too poor to buy a pay-per-view, so mm -hmm. I wasn't watching it every, you know. Um, but I sort of kept up with it. There was a little store down the street on like 8th Avenue and 43rd Street that would sell bootlegged, uh, nice. you know, karate movies. And, yeah. uh, and they used to have, I can't remember if it was videotapes or DVDs of, uh, you know, all these Japanese pride events and right. and underground fighting things and yeah. and so every once in a while if I'd see something interesting I would pick it up and buy it so I was aware of who he was and had watched some of his fights but but that documentary just it took you into a whole different world well I'm sure especially for something that was not that much in the past was underground and then made illegal in 36 states or, or something along those lines yeah yeah i can i can understand yeah it'd be weird to like something that you're really into that you have to go to a bodega to get your <laughs> to get your vhs tape or right. dvd yeah somewhere near the limes you know and that made it more exciting yeah though, of course when you unearth some sort of gem yeah and you know, I wasn't on. I mean, I'm sure I, I was. I had access to the internet then, but I wasn't following any of this stuff on the internet. Right. So I wasn't a real diehard fan. But it was always interesting to me. You weren't signing up for new newsletters on your CompuServe <laughs> email address. <laughs> no, at that time I was not. I, I don't have a half-built GeoCities fan page <laughs> dedicated to Mark Kerr. <laughs> that would have been amazing. I do like, like I because. We are doing this interview in, in Michigan, and I went to college here in this city of the zoo. And one of my buddies, Sean, was a huge Gracie fan. Yeah. And when he would order VHS tapes, I think in the back of a magazine. Right. And then... Yeah, probably like a you know Black Belt magazine. Yeah, or... exactly. And then he would call us and be like, I got the newest VHS tape. We'd go over there and watch, and then he would try uh, risk locks on all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Which was always fun. But there was this certain element. And that was when, let's see. I mean, I think that must have been when there was, it was no holds bar at that point. Yeah. Maybe 90. Before the, what they call the unified rules. Okay. Which I don't remember what year that was. Somewhere in the early 2000s. Uh, where, you know, a sanctioning body in, instituted actual rules. Gotcha. Um, like no knees to the head and no eye gouging. Uh -huh. You can't, you can't. Uh, you know, put someone in a cruc crucifix position and just beat the shit out of their testicles right. for five minutes. Gotcha. Which was legal. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird because older brothers do that to their younger brothers to this day. I mean, it's an effective technique. <laughs> it's very effective. Were you the kind of kid that had a makeshift boxing and or wrestling ring in your backyard? No. Okay. No, I'm not a fighter. Gotcha. I've never been a fighter. I'm not even a sports dude. Uh huh. I mean, I liked baseball when I was a kid. Sure. I, but I haven't watched a full baseball game in probably 20 years. Not many people have. This is the only sport I like to watch. That's weird. And it's really strange. I mean, you know, boxing once in a while. I like that Golovkin kid. I think he's really fun to watch. And but may... that, that still, that's a passing interest. Yeah. I don't watch every fight. But this stuff I will watch every chance I get. There's just something about the 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 purity, and I know that sounds really douchey, but the purity of just two people yeah. with no ball and no, mm -hmm. you know, equipment. Right. Other than these little tiny five ounce gloves or whatever they are right. to protect their knuckles. Um you know, just deciding who's better that night. Right. And there's right. something I really I can watch that over and over and over again. Were you 
uh, was it more alarming when you first started and now you're desensitized or was it the yes. same? Okay. Oh, oh, I mean, here in Kalamazoo, my friend Rod, you know Rod. I do. He and I rented UFC 1. Gotcha. In like 1993 or 4. Wow. We were roommates. And it was terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was sort of funny in yeah. that, you know, the premise was we want to see which martial art is the best and so they had a like a 500 pound sumo guy fighting right. a dutch kickboxer right a, a boxer with one glove on <laughs> fighting these this gracie guy all right who l- looked like a dude walking down the street yeah he looks like he should own a restaurant or something yeah, yeah. and he would just somehow wrap his body around yours and stop you from breathing. Right. And I just remember we would look at each other like, yeah, this is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. I agree. I mean, I remember the same thing when I'd watch those. I'm, that's so weird. I think we were watching the same kind of videotapes the same year in the same town, <laughs> but didn't know each other. Probably, <laughs> yeah. But I remember the Hoist Gracie stuff where I'm like, wait, he's got a gi on. Like, someone's going to use that to kill him. Right. You know, he'd come in with this, like, bathrobe on yeah and he looks like he should be selling insurance right to the guy that's about to kill him yeah and then he just like gets pummeled a little bit right and then he gets the guy in a lock gets him down on the mat and just like starts boa constricting him like just into right. submission right and, and and back then it wasn't so clear as to whether or not he was going to actually kill a human being right like we now know that they're going to try to prevent death as much as possible right but back then you didn't know i mean maybe i was just a stupid 20 year old but Mm -hmm. you didn't know right that i mean and of course that was how they marketed it which is another reason that it's sort of embarrassing to watch it now because they marketed it as this you know who knows what's going to happen you're probably going to witness a death in the cage blood sport right 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 and that was its appeal when you're a 20 year old kid yes yeah and now it's just a sport right but it still has that remnant of let's see what will happen in the cage yeah <laughs> do you think also it doesn't seem to have been tainted by like oh the judges are on the fix you know do you think no now, now it's sort of widely observed that the judges are seem to be less on the fix as just totally incompetent. Oh, okay. It's sort of a joke. Really? That people, whenever a fight is not finished, when it goes to a decision, it, everybody sort of waits with this look of, oh boy, let's see what they're going to do this time. Really? It's, yeah, it's such a weird, subjective thing to score, because it's scored like boxing, right? which is a problem in and of itself, yeah. but boring, and we won't get into that. But... You know, so judges are just writing down numbers, depending on what they see. So if a guy, you know, double legs a guy and takes him down and lays on top of him for five minutes, he will probably win that round, even if the guy in the bottom was elbowing him and doing more damage. So you never know how judges are going to score a fight. And sometimes they do it hilariously. Uh Um, Yeah, so I don't think they're on the fix. It's not like boxing. They're just incompetent. They're just pretty bad and if you tap out though then you that the other guy has won you've lost if you tap out you've lost if you tap gotcha and that's the the all that's what you want to do is make your opponent tap out yeah yeah or or relieve him of consciousness right which is via knockout or also the definition strangulation relationships (laughs) right so um mixed martial arts is always is always been i mean they they talk about mixed martial arts in smashing machine has that always been the premise behind 
ultimate fighting that it's always been this mix of yeah i mean i think so i don't, I don't know it wasn't not, just I, wrestling right what's that it wasn't just wrestling at first no it has sort of a tenuous relationship to professional wrestling which someone more informed than i could explain to you mm. they're connected somehow right but I've never had an interest in professional wrestling. Even as a kid, I never really... I mean, I thought, you know, when I'd be at the grocery store and I'd see a, a wrestling magazine, it would have King Kong Bundy's, you know, <laughs> face just covered in blood. Yeah. Again, that was terrifying. Yeah, to me. it was terrifying. But I never got into the, you know... Yeah. It was never It was never just fun to me, like it was to my friends or right. my cousins or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there is a relationship, but it, that doesn't interest me very much. And then, so, uh, it's, it's weird. This documentary is a little weird in that it's not like a pure biographical documentary where they go, Mark was born in 1968 in Toledo, right. Ohio, you know? I don't think they knew what they were getting themselves into. I, I think, think they, so they wanted to find somebody whom they could follow for a couple of fights just to introduce this sort of weird underground world of fighting. Right. And then they stumbled upon a story of a guy whose life is just falling apart, and he's in this really codependent, addictive relationship oh, with we'll another get, addict. We'll get and she, that. yeah, she, by the way, does not come off well in this documentary, no. his girlfriend. Um, and, you know, he happens to be addicted to pain. He almost dies. He ends up in the hospital, and then he makes a comeback. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, he's, his, one of his training partners goes on to win the big Grand Prix that year, which was Insane. huge for him because he, you know, he had sort of... Redemption. Yeah, so they man, they really stumbled upon a. a the, it's incredible. The yeah, the, the, a better story they couldn't have find in yeah. in that world at that time. I don't think. I feel like some of those like some of the best documentaries are the ones where like the camera crew just kind of shows up and like, well, I guess we're going to start filming, and then just the world's greatest right. story unfolds somehow. It's incredible how that works. Yeah, yeah, and I think these guys. I think you're absolutely right. They wanted to follow him to to Japan and just document a year. And they got so much more out of this, out of his life. Right. Because when we first get there, when we are first introduced to Mark, he is kind of at his, the crest of his powers. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know where the footage came from. I don't know if it was their footage, but they show sort of his first three fights. Um, I, so I don't know if they just got that footage or if, that, or if they were there from the very beginning. Right. But, I, I, but yeah, but, right. You're exactly right. And then... It, it just takes off. Yeah. And he's at the height of his destructive and <laughs> powers. Did, didn't he win his first three fights in like a minute? Yeah. Like, wasn't, like, right. weren't they like, like the whole, all three fights in less than something like five minutes that's total? Incredible. He's like the, on Tyson. the same night, by the way. Oh, it was the same night. I think it was the same they, night. Yeah. It was one of those turn. They used to do tournaments where you fought, and if you won, you fought the next guy who fought that same night. That's insane. Yeah. So, wow. No wonder. You're loading your body up with painkillers and course. steroids. Yeah, for like twenty thousand dollars, wasn't like one of. Was, I don't. I have no idea how much he made. I feel like they were saying in that Sports Illustrated article, like his purse, like some of those purses were like twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, that's insane. That's insane to, to risk your health and life like that. For me, it's just taking an hour or two to go to the gym. You know, every day. Oh, don't get me wrong. I would do it for five. Right. You would fight in the no, ring? God, I would never step How into much? a ring. How much? If I I have a briefcase with five million dollars right here, would you go fight for five million dollars? Yeah, 
Yeah, I'd probably do it for five million dollars. Really? Who would you who would you want to fight? I would want to fight um the greatest grappling jujitsu master ever. Because then <laughs> as soon as he touched me, I tap <laughs> and I go up to you and I take your you, fucking briefcase you for five briefcase. million dollars. <laughs> right. And um, I go celebrate. It's got Monopoly money in it. <laughs> would you fight Dan Severn for five million? Oh, you mean Michigan uh, <laughs> yeah. native Dan Severn? Yes, I. Um, <laughs> He's from my hometown. I know Coldwater, Coldwater, Michigan. He was uh, Coldwater High School's wrestling coach a bit for a bit. Was he? Yeah. Did, I, did you know him? I only I'd saw him once at a bank with a black eye. That's my only huh. Dan Severn. I mean, he's story. in the Hall of Fame. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's one of those pioneers. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, for five million dollars, I would almost do anything. Yeah, true. But oh, I would I would shit my pants. Yeah, you would shit your pants both before, that'd, during, and after. That would be the best part of it. I think them having to clean up your shit and blood at the end. <laughs> I mean, now when you watch it, it's so much more. It seems it's so slick and it's on right. Fox and there's you know fancy graphics and there's that nfl music and right. there's announcers and it seems so much more like a sport right that you think oh yeah i would climb in the and then you know when you really think about it you know a cage door would be locked behind you and oh you'd be God. in there with a person who was trying to really really hurt you, hurt you. yeah but they're real professionals so after the fight that's the thing about this yeah doc after he You're, breaks your fucking right. femur. He'll, he'll shake your hand. At least he'll help you up, you know, while everything <laughs> right. breaks in between. Right. I mean, that was the cool thing about this doc, because I didn't know any of this stuff. Seeing them hug and take pictures with each other yeah. before and after. And, I mean, so there's a real professionalism to this. Right. Like the woman in the waiting room, when he goes to the doctor, and the doctor's like, what's up? And he's like, oh, I think I broke my knee, right. my, I can't hear, and my shoulder's rotator cuff is gone. Right. Right. <laughs> and he's sitting, and she's like, what happened to your eye? And he's just trying to describe to her like what the sport is. Right. And she's like, it sounds horrible. And he's like, no, we're all professionals. And yeah. she's like, well, aren't you going out there to just really hurt someone? And he's like, well, yeah. Right. <laughs> yes, I am going to try to hurt somebody. A lot of what it is is people have bought into the stereotype. We're going to show you the bloodiest, goriest right, right. fighting sport mm-hmm. ever. Look I'm at one it. One of those people that thinks that it is. Yeah, and and really, it's it it's um, it, for a lot of people, it should. I mean, but but. Do we hate each other, though? Oh, absolutely not. No, absolutely does. not. No. How can you go out um, and do that in life? But but you you treat it as a profession. You know, I don't go out and try to punch a guy's face in. You know, sometimes I have to. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
believe me, when people say that it's too brutal and it's too violent and I have to look, I get it. Yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't, I, I don't know why I'm drawn to it so right. much. I, I have been at like sports bars eating burgers or wings and looking up and seeing a guy just get pummeled and just being like, oh, I'd rather just. Not for you. <laughs> not, I don't want to eat and watch someone get beat up right that just to me is like the <laughs> essence of americana just right uh more ranch dipping for these wings and turn up the volume on that fight you know right <laughs> i you know i don't watch like world star videos yeah and i can't i can't watch skateboarding videos when i know they're oh. gonna you know wreck on the stairs and right. break their arm i don't like that kind of violence did you see dogfight that documentary yeah and what did you think of that I thought it was really good. Yeah, well, it is really good. Because that's about the underground um, backyard brawling Bare phenomenon in Miami, yeah. which Kimbo Slice came out of, which is probably a name that most people will know even more than Ronda Rousey, right? <laughs> hilariously. Because yeah. he, you know, he had a short stint in, in uh, professional mixed martial arts. It didn't do very well. Just had a comeback a couple of months ago right. against oh, like a 55-year-old guy. Oh, and great. Knocked him out, of Jeez. course. Well, um, he was also, you could pick him in one of those boxing video games. You could oh, be yeah? Kimbo Slice. <laughs> no gloves, no, just bare knuckle. Yeah, and just like a cut-off jean shorts with a rope. Oh, there's another one called Knuckle. Have you ever seen that one? Uh-uh. It's about the... The uh, Irish tradition of bare knuckle. Oh wow! Do they is do it, it like the old timey where they point their fist at the guy? They do, they <laughs> yeah, make... they all look like the Notre Dame yes. mascot. <laughs> That'd be amazing. No, but it's hilarious because there's rivalries that are you know decades old between families, and they'll you know now in the advent of, of you know YouTube and the internet, they'll make videos where they challenge each other to in the, in their hilarious Irish brogues. Like I'm coming after you. You don't stand a chance. You effing effort And then and then they meet on a fucking you know a dirt road somewhere in a field what? and just throw knuckles throw at each down? other. Does the winner get a shillelagh? <laughs> that- no, the winner actually gets a. I th- if I remember correctly, like a big ass bundle of cash because wow. they all put up money. Wow, um, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, there's a look for Knuckle. That's I another will. good documentary about that sort of thing. And our our hero here, Mark, he grew up in Toledo, mm-hmm. and we actually are introduced to his brother uh, right. when they talk about, and he's like five eight, one eighty. Yeah, like long ponytail. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of those. Mid nineties oh, yeah. grunge beer, uh, like goatee you type know beards. He was in a bar band and worked <laughs> yes. at the video store, <laughs> right? And then his dad, Tom Kerr, yeah, who it looks like one of those classic Midwestern no nonsense kind of dads. He's just yeah. like, it's not for me. Korean War vet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. F- yeah. Find a respectable way to earn a living, son. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you can tell he had no support from his family. Oh yeah. Well, his biggest supporter was his mom, who died of cancer. Before this, right? Well, she filming. she she was a supporter a supporter of his wrestling career. Yes, I don't think she was a fan of the you know what uh, he did after mixed martial arts. So I think he waited until she died of right. cancer in order to oh, I right to, okay. to fight to get into have it. his first fight. I, I don't know. My I might be hazy about those details, but the point is, is clearly nobody was on his side. Right? Yes, exactly. He was, well, all- and I learned from that Sports Illustrated article that he was part of the dupont wrestling yeah fox catcher did fox you see that catcher. i did not see that movie but he was part of that and when he after he shot schultz 
uh, most of those, I think all of the wrestlers took off. They were like, we don't want to be a part of this. We don't want his money to, to right. help us. But uh, Kerr stayed. He was the only one that stayed with the Fox and was oh, represented really? by the Fox catcher. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, I guess he, yeah, he was probably, <laughs> I mean, you know, what are your options? None. Yeah, right. and and a lot of people said we don't blame him. You need money, you know. It's just right. You, know, you got to do what when you you're a world class wrestler. And I, you know, I don't know that he was a world class wrestler. I don't think he ever wrestled in the Olympics. But you know, he had the potential to do something like that, maybe. Yeah, and that's why he was at the Foxcatcher thing, which is you know John Dupont nut job and heir to the Dupont fortune. John Dupont set up a a facility on his ranch or whatever to train wrestlers. He he's wanted to be a part of that world so badly, and he wanted to lead people to, and I say lead with quotation mm -hmm. marks because he didn't really have any expertise or knowledge. Just money. Just money. To, you know, Olympic gold and, um, you know, ended up shooting one of the wrestlers on his on his team. Yeah, and I guess so everybody took off. Kerr stayed there, you say? Yeah, he stayed there and kept training and then wrestled under the Foxcatcher name. I believe he was the only one. Wow, they don't mention that in the... No, they don't. That's the, what, That's kind of what I was saying. It's like... But like like you were also you were illuminating. It's like this was just kind of like they just took the curtain away for like a year, and they don't really go back into Kerr's life, and they right. don't ever. They also don't. Well, I guess there's no epilogue because they stopped filming. But like, right? He had a pretty really. There could be another whole Mark Kerr Smashing Machine Part Two. Yeah, you know, like, there should be. Well, you know, they should show his last fifteen fights right. in which he lost. Fourteen, I think eleven of twelve yeah. of them. Right. Well, there's the. It was just a, a just a quick decline, and you know he's still wrestling with no pun intended with. Uh, you mean a, grappling? A, still, <laughs> still grappling with his addiction. Right. I mean, even as of I think a year ago, it was sort of a, a up and down existence as far as that's concerned. Mm -hmm. and, and when you leave the, you know, when the documentary ends, he was clean and sober. Right. He had just gotten married to this. To Dawn. girlfriend Dawn Spencer, um, you know, and he hadn't gone on that crazy losing streak yet. So yeah, what happens afterwards it's could be a whole other documentary. It's almost as fascinating. That no one will watch, and you and I will talk about for yes. an hour. Well, this is part one of our interview then, <laughs> um, because yeah, because he gets now he's addicted. Like in the Sports Illustrated article, they don't really mention. Is it just painkillers that he's addicted to, or is it also alcohol, or like what's his pure addiction? Gotta be. I mean, I think it was everything. Yeah, I know he did a lot of coke, coke and right. was drinking really heavily. And then you know they say he OD'd on painkillers. I'm guessing it was a combination of a lot of things. Yeah. Well, in the documentary, they show they it was uh, October of 1999. That is a black card. They flash it October 1999, and then you see this other black card. It's like oh no, you hear people. Someone mentioned that he had OD'd. It's his friend who uh, wanted to be the best salesman. He's talking about, oh, then I got oh, a call. Oh, yeah, right, that guy. Yeah, I got a call that said that he had OD'd on painkillers. And then we are we are quick pan to the hospital where he's laying in bed. And right. they're like, we're not even sure he's going to come out of this. Right. And then, like, you know, there's just a cameraman just, like, focusing. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. It's so wild that that happened during the filming of right. it. Right, and that they got there in time. And, you know, really, that's the – for me, that was the – the turning point of the documentary was uh -huh. that scene in yeah. which his old wrestling buddies, right. people who were not interested necessarily in his fighting career, just old friends, 
you know, sat down in the hospital room and said, look, man, you know, that was a real sort of intervention. And you could see it on his, he breaks down crying and he knows, he knows he's talking bullshit when he's like, you know, he's telling that story to them about, oh, I was on a sedative. And then in the hospital, they asked me, or on the way, they asked me who the president was. And I said, Reagan. And they all laugh. And you could tell he's not ready to face that. He is not. And then they say, look, you're about to die. Yeah. Things have to change. And you see it right on his face. He sort of gives into that. And I thought it was a really, I found it emotional and really touching mm-hmm. because this is a guy who knees people in the face. Right. You would think he was just a, just a bulked up id who, who does <laughs> yes. nothing but throw his giant hammer fists at people. Right. But here's a real guy who's facing real problems. Right. And, and, and facing, addiction which has got to be more fearsome than anybody he would face in the cage and he realizes that at that moment yeah and he just becomes completely vulnerable and then the next shot is him throwing away it has to be thousands of hypodermic needles oh my god vials that next shot is i actually paused i paused it for a second when i was like okay i have to prepare myself for what's about to happen right how much they're about to show yeah because you see the drawer he opens up full of needles right and then dumping out thousands of vials right. of empty and uh, unused pain-killing medication. Yeah. I, I didn't know how much of that was like steroid stuff. or yeah. they, they don't make it clear. But they don't. Whatever he was putting into his body. Yeah. He, you know, that was... The, that was his one of you know his first step of just getting it out of his house. Well, when they show that scene where he's shooting... Uh, painkiller medication to his arm they they kind of make a quick reference with the camera to his vein that's bulging yeah. and already kind of purplish because of all the, the yeah. shots he'd given himself yeah. like that's that's in, that's nuts man right so that's that's like that's you know it's crazy what professional athletes have to do especially in a sport that is like this where you're not even sure how much you're going to make and how what your longevity is going to be the window's got to be just so small Super and and that's small. even for the the most successful of the people yeah i mean what do they make now like what do what do, what's the highest paid who are the highest paid people what do they make do you know i i don't know because the at least in the ufc they don't officially release those numbers uh. but it's generally known that it's kind of laughable what they make in comparison in comparison to the top athletes of other sports. Gotcha. Um, Laughably, I mean, some, somebody might make half a million dollars, and you think, well, that's a lot of fucking money. Right. But they, they, you know, that guy uh, on a boxing card, on the undercard of a boxing card, right, uh, wouldn't take that amount of money. Right. So, and he's risking getting need in the temple a lot. <laughs> not anymore. You can't, All right, you can't need anymore. people in the temple. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the pay is not good. I mean, people win fights, and, and often the UFC gives out performance bonuses, $50,000 mm. or something, and they it's sort of embarrassing. Somebody will you know, knock somebody out, and then in, in the interview, in the cage, beg for that bonus. Because I have family to feed, oh. and I've spent all my money on my training camp, and you know, it's just, it's a, it's, it's pretty bad yeah. the way that the, um, the, the, the these athletes are sort of treated. Speak. But they don't have a union, right? They don't have anybody representing. They don't have them. owners. No, they what? have. There's one company, pretty much, right, who decides what they're going to pay them, and they wow. can either sort of take it or leave it. 
That's great. And now, so speaking of like the, the I have to feed my family, we are then introduced to Mark Coleman. Yeah. Who's his trainer. Right. And I would guess best friend. It seems like they're really fucking close. Yeah, I think I, they went back a long way. They might have been like wrestling rivals or something. Uh-huh. I don't I don't know the backstory on them. I just just know that they were training partners and pretty tight. Yeah. Well, Mark went to Ohio State. He was NCAA champion at Ohio State, and Mark Kerr is from Toledo. So I'm wondering if there was an Ohio right I, that I don't know. But the hammer, as they call him, the hammer. We're first introduced to which Mark. is a, which is a, just another way of saying a smashing machine. Yes, exactly. Everyone has a different not very variation. creative with these no. nicknames. Yeah, it's like what uh, the mallet, the ball uh, pee. <laughs> I don't think that's yeah. <laughs> and so like we're we're introduced to Mark like uh, the lowest of lows for him. Yeah, he was a champion in the UFC. And, and you got to remember, at this time, the UFC was sort of flailing and mm. not doing very well. And, and Pride, which was this, I guess, Yakuza-backed Japanese promotion, oh. was fucking huge. Really? Like fifty to 60,000 people per event in, in these you know, stadiums or arenas or whatever. Um, and you know, the UFC was sort of trying to find some backwater to put on their show, which right. at that point couldn't be shown on cable anymore. Oh, right, because of McCain. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. So um, he's been wrong about so much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now he's probably a big fan. Yes. Um, yeah. So Mark Coleman, who had been the UFC champ and then went on the skid, this was sort of his big comeback. It's sort of the opposite track of the trajectory is yeah opposite yeah which makes it so fucking compelling yeah yeah especially because it was possible that you know they both are entered into this tournament and it's possible that they would have to face each other which can you imagine if that had been the story no that it was almost perfect though the way it unfolded right more perfect i think than if they had to face i don't know i I can't say either way if they had faced each other it would have been because mark kerr was successful. Right. And True. clearly this was the start of his downfall right. and his struggle in his personal life con- you know contributed to that. Right. So And once again it's not like the filmmakers knew the story and went back and got archival footage. They were there while were there. this was unfolding in real time, right. which makes it even more insane. Yeah. And again, why I love documentaries so much. Yeah. You can't write this shit. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so Mark talks about training and then you sh- they show him with his his cute little blonde wife and his little cute little daughters. Yeah. They show this giant man putting a diaper on his little right. girl and stuff. And then she punches him cuz he's like what does daddy do? And she's like right. Boom, punches him. And he, he gives her this look that I was just like, "Whoa." Like, you know, cuz he's so big. <laughs> what do you think he was going to body slam her? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I mean, you could maybe a, a knee to the temple. A little know. roid rage. That would have been fun to catch on tape. <laughs> what are you doing? No, I think he's another one of those really nice guys. He absolutely seems like In fact, I believe, I might be wrong about this. I'll check it afterwards. But I think he just did, not a Kickstarter, but one of those GoFundMe things to get a couple of hip replacements. Oh, wow. Because his body is shot. Yeah. He ruined his body. At 55. And he doesn't have any money anymore. He had a short comeback in the UFC when it was at the height of its... Do you think those guys look back and go, like, was it worth it? Like, what did I, like... I guess, but, I mean, who knows? 
Well, it, I, I started to say this earlier, but when you're a wrestler, when you're a successful wrestler, yeah. then what happens when you're done wrestling? Right. What happens when you can't go to the Olympics anymore? You're still in your 20s, and oh. you're still used to training you know, eight right. hours a day or 10 hours, whatever right. it is, and competing. Yeah. And that's all you know. It's all you've been doing for the last, some of these guys, like 18 years since they were four or five years right old. and you go into a bank and get a job and they're like what's your marketing what's your skill set and you're like right well i can gouge an eye or two <laughs> you know like yeah exactly well, what do you what do these what do you do with your life after that oh, i mean oh. i guess that one guy went into whatever he was selling in his he office. got the big pen award i know something that. yeah it's very <laughs> which is very salesman-y i don't know he was but he was determined to be the best salesman at whatever he was selling he was which kinda, you can tell he's one of those motivational type yeah, guys. Yeah, which is what it's you know it's cool that they have. I like I love the some of the the segments that they chose to keep in, especially um, with the Mark Coleman. My my these are my two favorite segments of this documentary: the Mark Coleman story and the Dawn story. Right, his girlfriend stuff, which right. we haven't really touched yet. No, but the femme fatale thing. I mean. It's just too classic. She, remember the girlfriend in Spinal Tap? Oh, yes. That's how she. Fran Drescher. No, 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 not Fran Drescher. Oh. But David St. Hubbins' girlfriend. They're out on tour. Oh, right. And they're right, having right. a great time. Right, and right, all right. of a sudden, the girlfriend shows right, up. Right, 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 right. That's how you sort of feel when she makes her appearance. Is she, I, I, I'm kind of getting waiting for Guffman, I think, confused. Is it when she comes into the theater? Yes. And yeah, and she runs up. Right, yes, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and of course, David St. Hubbins is like, She's here. Yeah. You know, he's all geeked, and the rest of the guys are sort of giving each other the side. Yes. Like, oh fuck, here it goes. Here she comes. Right. And you know, she gets that treatment in this in this uh, documentary, and I, I don't know if it's fair or not. Um, cl- you know, clearly she was really involved in his life at this time. Right. And clearly they had a awful codependent relationship. Yes. Um, but you know, Boss Rutten especially makes it sound as though sh- she's sort of the reason that he. Right. Lost all focus. Yeah. And I think she was part of that reason. But, you know, don't forget, she was also in the throes of addiction at this time. She talks about her drinking, starting right. at noon, right. going out to lunch. Right. And they have a very hour. volatile relationship. And he talks about calling the cops on her. Oh, and, right. You know, it's not unusual. This happens all the time. Yes. But I think she's sort of painted in this documentary as sort of the evil enabler well i mean they do show that scene where he decides to go back with her yeah. instead of training instead of training right is, he had just won his the first fight of this tournament right and he had a number of months before the tournament concluded right and boss rutin had who had whipped him into shape right um said i think you should stay here yeah. i think you should train yeah and he said i gotta go peace out i gotta go with my girlfriend and probably drink and probably do a lot of blow and get into fights yeah and she does i mean she did have this kind of def leopard cover band uh <laughs> blow kind of bud light sensibility yeah. about her yeah 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 most girls I, definitely they were bad for each other yes yeah and it wasn't and so he got in this documentary you see that he gets sober um and after he throws away all his bullshit and he stops drinking he gets sober and then he says that he has to call the cops and they have to remove dawn from the house because she wouldn't leave right then they show him coming back and like cutting like some tree limbs with a knife right and then he oh, yeah that's a really weird scene <laughs> isn't weird it scene. like he's Actually, in, he's out in his backyard and he's cut some <laughs> shit off, and then he gives the knife to his girlfriend 
and then he cleans the pool. And then he comes back and takes the knife. Meanwhile, we don't hear what they're saying to each other. We just yet. see it's like it's like the cameraman was in the bushes or something. Right. And then she, he takes the knife away from her and she flips him off. <laughs> right. Well, that was so bizarre to me. I actually made a note to talk about that scene because afterwards I was like, "What the fuck was that?" Yeah. It's a very, but it's it's one of those like like spices that documentary filmmakers I think like to throw in to add to the storyline. Right. Obviously. Right. But it was just like what a weird scene. And like the other thing I noticed. Was like this this doc? It kind of lacks music. There's almost no like yeah. There's, there's, there's just like a really sparse soundtrack of you know like a guitar and a, a, a drum set or something. Yeah, it's very sparse. And this obviously sort of dirty three ish. Yeah, oh, I love the dirty three. This Minus ca- the violin, right? <laughs> and the talent. No, I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> this this doc came out before that that big doc stylization thing where they animate everything motherfucker stop doing animation uh, right i hate it so i mean i don't hate the animation i hate that every documentary now has ha- to have that moment right of, of, of it's a fucking cartoon yeah it's like it doesn't make it darker if you use animation it doesn't help the exposition if you use animation because it's been overused so much now right it's, that, it's very cliche now yes it is i mean kid stays in the picture perfect because it, it was one of the first first yeah yeah and, and, but, and that whole technique of separating an image from the picture yeah. with the background yeah they do that a lot too i don't mind that so much but it, yeah kid stays in the picture was the first time i saw that and yeah that, that was fucking awesome yeah well he's great and he also did the kurt that director did the kurt cobain yeah. uh, montage of heck which uses a lot of animation right as well and was my least favorite part of the documentary me too but the whole documentary was my least favorite part of the documentary. <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of that documentary. I, I was I don't like f- complete fandom docs. Like mm. that to me just seemed like this. And then afterwards, Did we it, fu- it seemed like it was just sort of a, you know, Kurt Cobain ass kissing kind of. Hmm. Yeah, to me. I mean, and I guess I've never been a huge Kurt Cobain fan or a Nirvana fan, so right. it just seemed to me like this junkie. Uh, who this guy seemed to like, and you know the guy was just kind of a junkie, and yeah. he made this this beautiful documentary for him. I don't know, like, well, if you ever read that, you know, when his diaries came out, yeah, we have that, and I got it when it came out, and I read the thing from cover to cover, or read a book like the one of like the Charles Cross biography or whatever. Then none of the stuff in the documentary was a real revelation, right? It's all been heard before, We've, and it was, nothing about. was a surprise, right? Um, the interesting part to me was just seeing the actual footage. Yeah. Some of those. And if it didn't have that in it, right. I would have thought, like you did, that it was just sort of a, you know, let's tell you how great Kurt Cobain yeah. is. Well, we, d- we did talk to the jawbreaker, Adam uh, Fowler, about that. And that was a great, I mean, I don't know what episode that is at this point. I think five or whatever. But it was it was a Cool interview. Anyways, yeah, whole different documentary. Um, but so, uh, yeah, the Don Spencer stuff was really interesting. I'm just glad there was no, you know, animation of Mark and Don. <laughs> yes, you know, yes, you know, getting into a physical confrontation and calling right. the police. Right. And, oh, thank and God, God that thing hadn't her. happened yet. And then so then um, uh, we we are introduced to Igor. And how do you say his last oh, name? Yeah. Vochenchkin. Vochenchkin. And he was, is he still around? No. Yeah, this was, I guess, a long time ago, so he probably, but he was like, at first I was like, well, he's a bit doughy, you yeah. know, I'm not sure, like, but apparently he is was a really good fighter. Yeah. 
Because I, at first I was like, it doesn't seem like Mark Kerr would have too much of a problem with this guy. I mean, you stand them next to each other. Yeah. And Mark Kerr looks like a, a, a superhero action figure. He does look like a he superhero. He really does. Yeah. And then Igor looks sort of like a, you know. Like a gluten guy Putin. who works at the gas station. <laughs> yes. and, yeah, he's, you're right. He's a little He's little a bit doughy. doughy. He's a little doughy. But, you know. I, I love my vodka. <laughs> But so then they show those guys fighting. Yeah. And uh, Mark triumphs. No, no, I'm sorry. Igor, well, it was a draw, right? Well, here's what happens. Yeah, thank you. They're, they're, you know, they show them at the Pride sort of uh, in, uh, you know, backstage getting the rules of the fights, which up until that point had been pretty much anything goes, including knees to the head and headbutts. Oh, up to this point. Right. They show the point where it changes. I don't know. Maybe they had it had changed before, but they're they're going over these rules. I don't know if they were brand new rules or gotcha. not. Um, in which you can't knee the head of a downed opponent, and so we cut to the fight, and it's sort of back and forth, and Mark's having great success, and then Igor, I can't remember if he knocks him down or just ends up somehow on top of him and knees him in the head very clearly, and the ref instead of uh, pulling him off and penalizing him for mm-hmm. it awards him the fight <laughs> <laughs> which goes back to your previous statement right. about refs yeah i mean yeah this isn't the judges this is a ref and yeah you know, but you know but the pride thing was always also a little bit shady i mean who, uh. knew, who knew what was going on back then um and so mark of course is very upset about this and appeals to a guy in a hallway we have i have no idea who that guy is right but uh he i guess he's in charge that's such a sad scene the whole walk yeah. Of the elevator and the walking down the hallways. It's and his then, first loss, too. And, and it's his first loss, and he's trying to find someone to right. talk to right. in Japan. And there's a language barrier. There's a huge language barrier. He, nobody seems to know who's in charge of anything. Right. He pleads his case to the guy. The guy sort of pats him on the arm, yeah. like, I have no idea what you just said to me. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm just here to get the luggage. I don't, I don't really I have right. nothing to do with this. <laughs> And then he goes into the room and cries. He cries. Oh, it's so sad to see a big guy cry. It is. It's so sad. And to know that he worked hard. Right. And to then he also, I, you know, basically I feel like what the, the filmmakers are trying to say is, this guy followed the rules. He's a nice guy, so he followed the rules. Right. Because he had gotten the rules. They show him in the room. Then they make a point of showing Igor's, let's say, manager or mom or wife, the blonde lady. Translator, probably. <laughs> Translator, maybe. Who knows? Uh, yeah. Let's we'll just call, call her a handler. A handler. Her, a handler. His handler stands up in the conference room and and wants to, to be clear about the rules. Right. And says, so you're saying there's no kicking in the right. face. Which is hilarious because then he not only Kicks. breaks the rules, <laughs> right. but nobody seems to give a shit about it. Nobody cares. Yeah. I think that's how sort of murky the whole thing was back then. Uh-huh. I mean, fights sort of went the way people wanted them to go a lot of the times. Right. Um, and, you know, there's, I don't know if it's conjecture or if, or if people have admitted to it, but a lot of fights were sort of thrown, and that was a whole different world. I mean, people still now watch the UFC and go, that fight was fixed. Yeah. I think there's a lot more on the line. I don't think they would do that sort of thing these days. But back then, it was just much like the fighting. It was just sort of anything goes. Right. 
but yeah, that was pretty. That's another great moment, though, is to see a guy who was eleven and zero in his career lose for the first time. Yeah, that's it's they just per- caught so many great first yes. moments on this thing, and and also like. I don't know about you, but even if I had agreed to a documentary and I just lost my first fucking fight, I'm in a cafeteria room by myself, sitting on a folding chair next to one of those awful plastic. T- I would have been like, "Just get the fuck out of here." I think that every time I see that, yeah, I, th- I even though I know he's not going to, yeah. I keep expecting him to turn around and go, "Get the fuck yeah. out of here," but he doesn't. Some also- doughy Russian just <laughs> need me in the face. <laughs> yes. After I talk to his handler, then he's like, and then they like hug and stuff. I'm like, yeah, they do a photo op afterwards. (laughs) And he's so fucking nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a strange, you know, uh, juxtaposition of being so brutal towards one another. And then afterwards, just, you know, it was like that scene in Jaws where they compare scars. Uh huh. Remember that when they're, they're showing, oh, you did this to me. And they're sort of having to do it without, language you're right. just sort of pointing out you know oh remember when you cuffed me in the back of the head and right. i got this scar on my elbow from from driving it into your cranium uh-huh <laughs> from driving and they're it laughing about it and they're yeah. best pals and they're taking pictures oh yeah and he shows them like oh that one hit that you had on right, my head was right. amazing yeah and you can tell through their body language that they're, just, they're sort of saying to each other oh good good yeah. for you that was a great one i think he even mark kerr even shows igor igor uh, that's young Frankenstein Igor. Um, <laughs> that he had like loosened his ear because he's showing him like his yeah. ear is barely attached. Yeah, it's just a litany of injuries <laughs> and contusions and scrapes and bruises. Right. The story of that fight was written all over their bodies, and yeah. they were laughing and pointing it out to each other for a like a really gaudy six foot trophy and yeah. some money. Right. So then, um, so then they. There's some, I guess, some time passage, and then we see that Mark Coleman comes up to him and says, you know, good fight, keep your chin up, and then Mark continues. Yeah, it was part of that same tournament. Pride of 2000, Pride 2000. Right. The Heavyweight Grand Prix, I think is what it was called, mm-hmm. and, and Mark Coleman advances, wins his fight and advances. Mark Kerr, of course, loses his fight because he hadn't been training again. Right. You know he was doing a lot of drugs, even though they don't show that, because I think he's just, you know, except for that weird scene in the backyard, they're just sort of not around for right, right, right. For that time. And he fights, Mark Kerr fights someone named Ensign. Uh, the oh, Jap- yeah, that, oh, all right, maybe I'm, I might, I might be uh, fast-forwarding. I don't, I don't remember. Well, the guy... Because he, he won his fight against Ensign anyway, didn't he? He won. Oh yeah, he won that fight. He won that fight. Right. And then we cut to a few months later, right? When he should have been training, and he's not. He's not right. And he loses his next fight. Yes. Against um, the and Mark and guy. Mark Coleman wins his fight. So yes. now we're backstage. Yeah. And and Kerr had just lost because he just he said he couldn't move. Right. He just stopped. Well, and then he says, and this the, guy is just on top of him, just, just beating the shit well, out. Well, at one point he kind of like stops and just kind of surveys the bot, his you know Mark Kerr's body. Like, oh, I guess I could punch right. him here. I guess I'll move over here. Yeah. Ooh, this seems like a meaty spot. <laughs> this is yeah. awfully meaty, right? And Mark Kerr's not doing anything. doing anything, right? And I think he it was, you know, I think it was a combination of a lot of things. He says in that Sports Illustrated uh, article that he had done so much steroids 
and painkillers, he couldn't move. Right. Like, he couldn't pick up his arm or anything. Right. Like, he was so... Just sapped all of his cardiovascular ability. Yep, and sugar. Like, apparently, he would not eat before matches, but he'd eat a lot of candy. Right. Because uh, steroid stuff zaps your body of sugar. Right. And he was... Just basically paralyzed in it the sounds ring. Sounds like a healthy training regimen. <laughs> it's also my training Steroids regimen. Steroids and Kit Kats. <laughs> yes. yes. Now let's fight. <laughs> now let's fight. But you could just see it in his face. He just he just stops. There's, yeah. There's nothing left. What were you doing when you watched it? Were you just like, get the fuck up? Like I was just like, I, I don't on. I don't remember. But yeah, right. I mean, I was rooting for yeah. him, obviously. Yeah. Um. But. Yeah, I'm like, don't let the blonde-haired Japanese guy with the with the tips, the like blonde frosted tip, tips. frosted tips, the Guy Fieri of Japan, like take you down. <laughs> but it's it's so beautiful in its sadness when you're when you're watching that, and then Boss Rutan um, comes up to him when he's laying on the floor, yeah. and he's like, "Do I need afterwards. stitches afterwards?" And he's all pummeled and yeah. looking horrible. And uh, it's such a sad moment for such a big ass gladiator type. And and you you know you want and Boss Rutten, who was sort of acting as his trainer at that time, you wanted him to say, sort of, you see, yeah, you sh- maybe should have come re- with me and trained right. for this fight. There's some redemption there. But you know, I guess you don't say that to a guy who just got his head beat in for 15, 20 minutes. Right. Give him a couple minutes. So he says, "Hey, look, happens to everybody." Yeah. I'm going to run. Yeah. Then he changes his shirt and goes on TV. Yeah. That was my, that was a great part. <laughs> He's like, I got this other thing I got to do. Right. Uh, you got to love Boss Rutten. And then, uh, was he a big, he was a big player? I mean, a Yeah. Champion? Well, he was one of those early pioneers too. Yeah. Champion, UFC champion. And now he's, he's a commentator and he's sort of hilariously bad at it. Gotcha. But he's funny as hell. Like the Reggie Miller of the NBA. And just a giant personality. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, then we see Mark um, go in for his title fight um, and then just... Against Igor Vochanchi. Yes, against Igor. And there's a moment where, like, he's got Igor in the corner of the ring, like, in this weird crab position. Right. Where he's got his half... Like, Mark Colbin has half his body in between his legs and is just... Forcing his head back and then also then punching him. Right. And you see him tap. Yeah. Tap out. Not to a submission hold, but to just getting his face beat in. Just getting it beaten up by this by this Mark Coleman character who went from a loser when we first meet him to now winning this entire thing. Yep. And oh the other oh beautiful moment. It's again, how did they get this? When that I don't know, I can't remember his name. I think it was like a Hispanic name, but his partner in the pool. It's, oh yeah, they're yeah. making fun of Mark Coleman, right? And they're saying, "Oh, I've got kids, I've got to feed." Right? Ooh, yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. To, you know. And they're all laughing and they're splashing and making fun of him. Yes. And then Mark Coleman beats that guy's ass. Right. And then you see this dejected look in the next. Yeah, scene. as he's leaning against the wall or whatever. Yeah. Because all those guys would hang out in the same area. Yeah. Like before they fought each other, right? And they would come back and they'd still be in the same room, right? Strangely, odd, odd stuff. Yeah. Well, it just like there's, it's one of those, uh, you know, you're in the entertainment business. You know that there's this weird glamour part of it. And then as soon as the lights and the audience go away, it's just a bunch of like fat union guys yeah. eating sandwiches right. backstage. Right. It's, you know, it's a lot of like uh, garbage cans that need to be emptied. <laughs> you know, right. there's like nothing glamorous. Sweeping the, yeah. About the other side of that kind of life. 
You know, and that's what we're you've right. shown is like, yeah, there's sixty thousand screaming fans and 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 beautiful Japanese girls that are introducing each fight and lights and cameras and money, but like backstage, it's just a bunch of folding chairs right. and sweaty guys just hanging out. Yeah, you know, and watching each other kick and do right. things. Half of them, you know, still pumped up and happy, and the other half just depressed and yeah, leaning against walls. Well, I think it's Mark Coleman that says. When you win, they talk to you differently. When you lose, they talk right. to you differently. Yeah, you're right. And then they show the shot of the guy who just lost. Yes. And it's true. Nobody's around him. No. He's by himself. Yes. Well, you know, I, his dreams have just been evaporated. Completely. And I know that from being a comedian, when you have a great set, people want to tap your shoulder. They want to talk to you. They want to yeah. come around and talk. And when you have a horrible set, there is nobody around. <laughs> nobody even wants to be near you because they think it just rubs off, you know? You'll get him next time. Yeah, you'll get him next time, Bucky. Um, nice try. <laughs> so overall, like, what did you take away? I mean, was there anything you took away from this documentary as far as, like, you know, philosophically? Or, like, what was your takeaway from this? I just thought it was a really beautiful story of uh, a guy that, any normal person would look at, especially knowing what he does for a living, and just, you know, be filled with fear and awe at this guy. And then when you strip all that bullshit away, strip away what he does for a living and what his body looks like, um, you just see a guy who's like the rest of us mm -hmm. and who has trouble at home and has trouble in his head and you know, things don't always go his way. And it was just a great human interest sort of story. It wasn't about fighting. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what got me interested in the documentary to begin with. But in the end, and the reason I can watch it again and again is, is just his story. Right. So it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I'm really glad that you suggested this because I, a main probably never would have watched it and B or heard of it. Right. You know, and, yeah, it got, it's it's not on iTunes or Netflix for some reason. So anybody who is listening to this who now wants to see it, sorry. You <laughs> yeah. can find it, as we said earlier, but it's not the most accessible thing no. in the world. No, and it's it's it was HBO, so maybe someday HBO may re replay it or whatever. But right. it is pretty fascinating and you can find it pretty easily online. But like I love I love docs that are slices of Americana kind of stuff and yeah. especially the ones where they basically are peeling away a curtain and make because again it's not archival footage it's they were just there right and this stuff unfolded which is right. pretty incredible stuff yeah um so one of the ways i the way i end these uh talks is i ask what was one of the first documentaries that got you into watching documentaries ah. and yep what would you suggest as a documentary um, what was one of the first documentaries mm -hmm. I watched? Mm -hmm. Oh, I liked all those, uh, Maisel's brothers documentaries, uh -huh. salesman. Right. And, um, uh, give me shelter, right? Wasn't that one of theirs? Give me shelter. Yes. I loved Gimme Shelter. G Gimme Shelter. In fact, that was one of the ones when you asked me if I wanted to do this that I thought about. Ah. Because uh, that's another one I can just watch over and that over That one's again. incredible. Have you seen Cocksucker Blues? Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I have a VHS copy downstairs. <laughs> of <course> you do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I bought it on the streets of New York in like 1997 or something. Were you just thrilled? Because when I first found it at oh, this yeah, random yeah, yeah. video store in San Francisco, I was so excited because I'd only heard about it. Right. It was, yeah, it was sort of the legendary, want to watch Keith Richards stick a needle into his vein. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Salesman's come up a couple times in these interviews. Uh, it's pretty interesting because I find that one to be fascinating as well. Yeah. Oh, and Don't Look Back, I thought it was, is that the one, the Dylan one? Uh-huh. Yeah, that was a great one. Those are the sort of, Ones I can remember watching once I was out on my own as right. a human being. Um, and I'll tell you what you can never go wrong with are those goddamn Ken Burns documentaries. Okay. I just rewatched The Civil War and right. baseball back right. to back. Wow. Like 40 trillion hours worth of Civil War and baseball. Right. <laughs> and I never get tired of those things. Right. But There's, you don't like, you don't watch baseball. I don't hate baseball. Right. And I used to love baseball. Okay. And uh, yeah, you know this only goes up to like 1990 or something. Right. So it's it's more about the history and and how well done the documentaries are. Well, and you also are seeing a pioneer of a certain style when you watch the Civil War one. You yeah. realize this spawned so many other documentary filmmakers to use that style. Right. That Ken Burns fucking. I mean, it's so now that iMovie. If you make a home movie on right. an iMovie, it has like Ken Burns style. You know, and your your pictures will like. Pan in and pan out, and I did a. Um, uh, I was I was involved, and a friend of mine did a fake Ken Burns documentary called Pillow Fighter. Uh huh. I, don't, I have no idea if it exists in the world, or nice. if, or if he has the only copy of it. Maybe it's on. YouTube. What's his name? Uh, Jamie Greenberg. And uh, he wanted to do a Ken Burns style documentary about the advent and popularity at. I guess it was sort of the turn of the century or maybe the early or the late 19th century uh the sport of pillow fighting nice and he the reason it's great is because he wrote it so well uh-huh. in that style nice. you know with the voiceover and the music in the background and, yeah. the, and the panning of a picture right did they did he do the letters like dear mom oh the yeah pillow fought. yeah yeah there's a series of letters nice. in which a husband and a wife are re, are are um, writing back and forth to one another, and and it becomes just a domestic argument about him fixing the screen door or something. I don't remember exactly, but it gets more inane and more inane as you know the letters go back and yeah. forth, and it's really funny. And I wrote a song for it as though it, I was unearthing, you know, a great peon to the greatest pillow fighter of all time. You right. know, so a, a song from the you know, late nineteenth century or something. But I love that Ken Burns style. Yeah, I, you, I wish he made more movies. Did you see the National Parks one? Yeah, yeah, that one's pretty spectacular. I just started. Um, it's not Ken Burns made, but it's produced by him. It's um, the history of the West oh, in the United States. Nice. I think that's maybe the only one I haven't seen. I love Shelby Foote. He's the best. He is the best. I really would love to have a bourbon or two with Shelby Foote. I don't. I think he's dead. Well, but it still would have been cool. <laughs> now it would be weird. But yeah, you imagine the stories that die? guy has. Yeah, 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 no. I don't know. If somehow this gets back to him and yeah. he's alive, I apologize. Right. But I, th <laughs> For, I thought I heard that he died. The, the rumors of his death have been exact, greatly exaggerated, exaggerated by Stephen Lynch. Yeah, Shelby Foote and Buck O'Neill, who was the guy from the baseball documentary who played in the Negro Leagues, uh -huh. those were the two sort of superstars that came out of those. Right. 
you know, mid nineties, Ken Burns. Yeah. I mean, just two guys with hilarious stories and great personalities. Right. So let's recap for a second. What was one of the first docs was, um, you were saying, give me shelter, give me shelter and your recommended doc. Um, the civil war, the civil war. Perfect. You got a lot of time on your head. Thank you so much. This has been fun. My pledge. Thanks for listening. You can find episodes of SupDoc on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Please review, subscribe, and rate. And you can follow us on Twitter at SupDocPodcast and online at SupDocPodcast.com. This show is produced by Will Scoville, and our theme music is by David Siegel. If you want to suggest a documentary or a future guest, please email us at SupDocPodcast at gmail.com.